Hello, my name is Sarah and I am your chakra coach. On this podcast, we'll be exploring how the chakra system can help guide you to grow your emotional, mental, physical, and spiritual wellness, leading you closer to your highest self. Hello, how are you? Life is going along in my little corner of the world. Like I said last week, I'm still trying to be less busy and more fulfilled, but that is for sure a work in progress. Trying to do only the things that serve my authentic self this year has proved significantly more challenging than I thought it would be. Seems like you should be just able to, you know, like just know what those things are and then do them, but it's not it's not quite that simple, is it? Especially when it is so easy to lose sight of who your authentic self really is. And saying no to people is tough. And saying yes to myself when I need rest or other kinds of self-care is also tough. So I'm working on it. What are you working on? Anything? Not that you have to always be working on something, right? I'm just I'm just curious what you do. Today's episode is going to be a little more nuts and bolts educational and less philosophical than my shows sometimes are. And that's because I've had a few requests to talk about the different kinds of yoga and who and what they're good for. Since I recommend it all the time as a way to work with your chakras, stress reduction, enjoy movement, and all kinds of other things, this seemed like a pretty reasonable request. Like, if you're looking at your local yoga studio schedule, there might be a lot of class names that don't mean anything to you. It can be overwhelming and confusing. And I know when I'm overwhelmed and confused, sometimes I just don't do anything. Instead of trying a class, I might just give up completely because I have no idea what to try or if I'll be able to do it or if it will do what I need my yoga practice to do or any other number of reasons not to take a class. But that's my response anyway, or it can be my response. So in case that's something you're experiencing, I wanted to put together an episode to help clear some of that up, just so you feel a little bit more confident going into your first yoga class or a new kind of yoga. Before we start, I want to remind you, or maybe tell you for the first time, I don't know, depending on how many episodes you've listened to, or how much you know about yoga, that what we think of as yoga class is just one part of the entirety of yoga. There are many schools of thought about how many limbs of practice, uh, what limbs the practice of yoga has. They're called limbs. They're just, I guess, parts. You could think of them as parts. But in my tradition and training, there are eight. Asana, or the postures that the practice is like the physical things, is just one of them. This is important to me because well, for a lot of reasons, but partly because it means that yoga can be practiced by anyone with any body. It isn't just for people who can go to class or do a video at home. Yoga is a philosophy, a way of life that can be practiced at all times by anyone who chooses to. Briefly, very briefly, let me go over the other limbs of yoga just so you can know what I'm talking about. The first two are the yamas and niyamas, which are sort of an ethical code to live by. Each of these limbs 
have five parts and I did a series on them a while ago. So if you want more information on them, go listen to episodes 90 to 101. Two of the episodes in there aren't on the Yamas and Niyamas, but that's where you'll find that info. Episodes 90 to 101. Basically, they are ideals for ethical behavior within and ethical behavior when dealing with the world. And if you were to follow them to any degree with intentionality, you'd be practicing yoga. Asana is the third limb, which we'll talk about today. Pranayama is the fourth, which is the mastery of breath uh, or prana or life force. I did an overview of this topic in episode 132. The fifth limb is pratyahara, which is mastery of the senses or sensory withdrawal. The, the sixth is dharana, which is usually translated as concentration. It can be considered the precursor to meditation, the ability to focus your attention. Seventh is dhyana, which is where we get to what we think of as meditation, like living in a cave meditation, you know, being, being highly aware without any focus on thoughts. And the final limb is samadhi, bliss or ecstasy or nirvana, what some people might call enlightenment. But instead of a constant state, for most people, it is at best a moment. I've listed them in order, but they're all yoga and, and, and no one part of it, no one limb is better than the others. You don't have to finish a step to go to the next one. Most people in the West start with asana, and a lot of people never even know about the other seven limbs. But if your body doesn't allow postures, that doesn't mean you can't practice the philosophy of yoga through the other limbs. Hopefully that made some sense. It was a really quick overview, but it is important. Yoga is not just for certain people who can move certain ways. Yoga is for everyone with a desire to practice. And it's much, much more than just physical postures. All that said, we're going to get to talking about the types of asana classes that you might see on a schedule or on the name of a YouTube video. Disclaimer, I'm a yoga teacher. I teach live classes, and I think that having an instructor who can see you, especially the first few times you try it, is really useful. However, I know that's not possible or even desirable for everyone. Okay, so let's get to some types of yoga. First, let's talk about hatha yoga. Technically, as they say, all yoga is hatha yoga because the word simply refers to the physical practice of yoga. But it has definitely come to signify a certain style. It's usually a slower-paced, beginner-friendly class where you're given plenty of time to explore the postures and how they work for your body. Remember, we should always be looking for ways to make the pose fit our bodies, not make our bodies fit some sort of idealized, hierarchical way that a pose should look. That goes for all types of asana practice. Anyway, Hatha Yoga is all about balancing energies. The literal translation of the word is sun and moon. It's great for alignment, calming your body, and stress reduction. Generally, it is a, a full body experience. So as with all types of physical activity, honor yourself and your body. If there's a teacher that you can talk to, let them know if you have injuries and pay attention to how you're feeling throughout the practice. Remember that 
even asana with its focus on the physical is still more about what's happening inside you than outside you. Sometimes we joke that it's it's not a workout, it's a work in. Ah. Anyway, I started with Hatha because like I said, it really encompasses all the physical practices that we think of as, you know, when we think about yoga classes. Next, I want to move on to Ashtanga, because I think this practice is the foundation for a lot of our modern Western classes. Ashtanga is a set of postures broken up into four or three to six, depending on who you ask. The way I learned it, four series. Each series has a different focus, but the one you'll see most is the primary series. It's called, it's for yoga therapy, healing. Again, it's a set series. So you'll do the same poses in the same order every time you attend class. And although it's what I would consider to be a moderately paced class, meaning that you do get to hold each pose for several breaths before moving on, it can be very physically demanding as well because there are fast, challenging flows between each of the postures for most of the beginning of class. You'll start with sun salutations, then do some standing postures, then seated, then the finishing series, which is some work on your back, and then some inversions with your head below your heart in some way. This is the style of practice that made me fall in love with yoga asana, and I practiced it almost exclusively for years. I'll tell you, though, the first time I took a class, I was so confused and frustrated because it seemed like everyone in the room knew what they were doing, which they did because they'd been doing the exact same sequence for who knows how long. I learned it and the teacher was a very helpful guide, but I'll never forget that feeling that I had no idea what I was doing, that it was impossible to do those things and that maybe I didn't even belong there. Now I share that because you could have that feeling anytime you go into a new class or anything new really. And everyone has it. But again, let me stress that we are all capable of practicing yoga and most of us can find an asana practice that we enjoy. You might have to take a class a few times before you get it and that's fine. It's good even. And you might discover that another style is better for you, but I do believe that nearly everyone can find a practice they enjoy. So back to Ashtanga. The poses might look familiar because they're the basis for a lot of the classes you might have seen or photos that you might see, you know, on Instagram or whatever. But Ashtanga is also the foundation for power yoga, that very athletic style of yoga where people do all those tricks and arm balances and all that fun, complicated looking stuff. And I'm here to tell you that while that's all cool and great, you don't need to ever be able to do it or even be interested in trying it to have a fulfilling yoga practice. We can talk about power yoga for a minute because you will see it a lot. It's very popular. People love it because it feels like a big, hard workout. It can be fast with a lot of challenging poses and balances and handstands or whatever else. And I do think it can be intimidating, but it can also be really fun if you're into that kind of thing. I wouldn't suggest jumping right into it if you're new to physical activity of any kind, of course. But if if you're a person that likes to exercise a lot and you're looking for a new kind of challenge, power yoga might be for you. But as physically difficult as the practice is, you might find yourself surprised at the mental discipline it takes and the 
emotional steadiness it creates. At least that's what I found. So many of the poses were really scary. Like I could fall on my face at any moment. I mean, literally. And I literally did several times. So fair warning there. But power yoga challenged me to become the kind of person who would take a risk like that. Also, it taught me in a lot of ways that my mental and emotional balance and stability was impacting my physicalities in ways I absolutely did not expect. The internal environment I had to create to develop the external posture turned out to be the point of the practice for me. And I would venture to say that that's the case for all types of asana. I mean, that's why it's just one limb of the eight, but also it's a good example of how all of them work together all the time. If I lost my breath during practice, which you could call pranayama, remember that's the fourth limb, I would lose my physical practice. If my mind wandered away from what I was doing, if I didn't concentrate or focus, I'd be unable to find the pose in my body. And, and honestly, if you've ever heard someone say, take your yoga off the mat, I think this is what they mean. Asana is just one way to find strength and balance inside of yourself that has nothing to do with the physical poses, but you can take it with you into life, into your job, your relationships, your parenting, anywhere. Can we take what we learn about ourselves during the physical practice into the world and share that compassion and understanding and balance and calm that we develop there with everyone we encounter outside of the asana practice. I learned a lot of that from Ashtanga and power yoga styles, but it it's truly available in all the disciplines. The last style of class I want to discuss today is another one that you'll see a lot, and that's vinyasa yoga, or you might hear it called a flow class. And, and that's because there's a lot of movement it's a, a sequence of poses that vary from class to class, from teacher to teacher, that tend to flow one into another. You'll hear teachers say, one breath, one movement. And all that really means is that we move on the in-breath and out-breath every time, instead of holding the pose for any length of time. For example, you might lift your hands to the ceiling as you inhale, and then move them toward the floor as you exhale. And then the next inhale, you move somewhere else. It can be. It doesn't have to be, but it can be a very fast-paced class. A lot of studios level their flow classes, one or two, or even beginner or advanced. I always think that's tricky because it can make us think that some poses are, are better or more important than the others, and that, that just that couldn't be farther from the truth. But a lot of times, it does take some practice to build up the strength and stamina to do some classes, and the leveling gives teachers a way to let you know what you're in for. Vinyasa yoga and Ashtanga too, I suppose, are, are the two styles I hear people say that they can't do because, you know, I'm not flexible enough. And I get that. It can feel, <laughs> it can feel like everyone in the room is able to bend in ways that are inconceivable to you. And so you, you feel like you're slowing the class down or you're being distracting or all those other stories that, that you tell yourself. I mean, we, we all do. Truthfully, though, those people built that flexibility by going to class. And you'll build more flexibility with consistency as well. 
However, I can understand if you don't want to do that publicly. So if it feels like too much, find a style that focuses more on the held poses like hatha or yin. Vinyasa is also great for building strength because there are a lot of uh, lunging poses in, in the warrior pose series and push-up type movements in a chaturanga dandasana, which is the name of a pose in a short series that is also called a vinyasa. Now remember, if you're new and it feels like you're learning a whole new language, you are. A, a lot of teachers use the Sanskrit names for the poses along with the English translation a lot of times, but to honor the roots of yoga and acknowledge that it isn't originally a Western practice, using the original language is important, but it can, it can feel like you don't understand a word that's being said. And in that case, offer yourself patience and grace. Chances are no one in the class came their first time knowing it. And we all learn as we practice, just as with everything else in life. So I've done it again. Uh, I have this idea that I can cover everything in one episode and then I talk so much that I can't. Plus, I said there wouldn't be philosophy and then I absolutely talked about yoga philosophy, which I am sure did not surprise some of you at all. Anyway, this is all probably okay because it can be a lot to take in if you're new. Here's the quick recap. Hatha, generally a slower practice, great for beginners, good for building baseline flexibility, strength, and learning about how your body and mind interact. Ashtanga? A moderate-paced but challenging practice that uses the same poses in every class. You can jump right in if you like. That's the tradition, but it might be more comfortable for some people if they've done a little yoga before. Uh, very good for building strength and flexibility as well as a disciplined mind. Power yoga can be very fast-paced and may require more strength, particularly in the upper body, than other practices. It's good for building that strength and for stretching the edges of your comfort zone. I wouldn't broadly recommend it for beginning students, but remember, everything can be modified to fit your needs. Vinyasa, a flowing practice for stamina, strength, and flexibility. It can also be mentally and emotionally challenging, just like power yoga, as you work to remember the sequences, you learn to let go of your expectations and accept yourself as you are in each moment. Now, I've just barely scratched the surface of these styles. They are all connected to the breath. They're all for your insides as much as your outsides. And, and all of those things I said during the episode, I really just wanted to give you an overview of what to expect physically if you went to one of those classes or tried a video at home. These were some of the more active practices. Next week, we'll cover some of the slower paced styles that are completely different. If you have questions about these, let me know on Facebook or Instagram at Your Chakra Coach. Also, uh, let me know if you'd like to see some short videos or photos of these styles. I'll see what I can do. I also have a Patreon page where I have some photos of me doing common yoga poses sorted by chakra. All of these styles of yoga are good for energy flow as well and for balancing your chakras. You may have already figured that out, but I thought it was worth saying. Okay, have a fantastic week. And I will see you here again soon to talk more. Bye.